Welcome to the Sunday session on NRL.com. I'm your host, Chris Kennedy. Kenny Scott is with me as always. Kenny, thank you for being here. Thanks once again, CK. It's been a big week. Let's talk about it. Been plenty to talk about. Heaps going on. Some unexpected um, performances, some upsets, some um, some thrilling games. Uh, with us this week, we're very pleased to welcome uh, Broncos legend Steve Renoff. Steve, thank you for being here. Hey boys, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure, absolutely our pleasure. Let's um let's talk about the Broncos because I think um, probably most of us were tipping Panthers by absolutely write your own numbers in this one. The um, high flying Panthers on top of the ladder haven't lost a regular season game in you know the, a year or more. Um, Broncos doing a little bit tough lately, but um, you would have liked the um, the aggression, the, the the improved intensity you would have seen from Brisbane in this one. Yeah, ma- massive improvement, you know, and um, you know you, you got to look at that match and. You give it to the Brisbane because obviously Penrith are—they're they're the gun team at the moment, and um, you know they, they're doing everything right. And um, yeah, we've been struggling to be very, very honest. But uh, to come out with that performance, and um, you know, it was talked about um, obviously prior to the match, uh, Kevy, you know, getting pretty fired up in that in that in that yeah. talk team. So obviously, very, very important and. It, just a lot of respect for the boys, and they really ripped in. Um, you know, we didn't come away with the two points, uh, but, you know, we weren't that far off. You'd have to say if Brisbane play exactly like that every week, they're, you know, they're going to win a few more than they lose in the uh, the near future. Yeah, look, and, and that is the case. And some people are saying, well, that, that can be a bit of a worry. You know, how do they ramp up every week? But you'd, you'd like to think as a, an, an NRL uh, team at every week that you're going to come out and try and give that. So, um, you know, when we come up against other teams that quite, uh, you know, aren't quite as to the standard of, say, someone like Penrith, uh, that'll get us over the line. What did you uh, What did you like the most about this one? I mean, for me, it was probably the standard started in the middle. I thought it was maybe Matt Lodge's best game um, in the NRL, that the forwards seemed to be much more switched on than they uh, probably have been in some other games this year. Yeah, look, uh, you mentioned Matt Lodge, but Tavita Pangai Jr. Uh, yep. is probably his match, to be honest. And, uh, you know, and it, we, we sort of talked about this afterwards in our own little group. Um, and, you know, uh, he really stood up. Um, and obviously that's laid the foundation, obviously, for like guys like Brody Croft. And he probably had his best game, um, to be honest. So yeah. it's sort of uh, fed across the, the team, which, which is something that you want. You touched on um, Brody Croft, obviously plenty of attention around uh, Kevin Walters sort of doing a bit of mixing and matching with his halves, trying to find the answer, you know, plenty of, um, I guess, criticism of, of Anthony Milford um, so far already this year, uh, given a, a week or a couple of weeks in, in reserve grade to, I guess, find his confidence, brought Brody Croft and Tom Dearden together. And um, I guess Brody Croft in particular responded. Yeah, and that's what you want. So when something like that, the decision in the team, uh, week to week is made. Um, obviously, poor old Milf um, you know, got left out. Um, but the, the thing you're looking for as a coach is a reaction. And that's a reaction by, um, obviously, uh, Brody Croft and Tom Dean. And we got that. You know, we got that, you know, especially from Croft. And, and that's what you wanted. So, if, you know, if we dropped Milford and we just did the same old thing in those halves, well, you know, it wasn't worth it. So, they did react. So, Steve, still on the halves then, do you think – Long-term as, as a player for the Broncos, is it worthwhile? I mean, does Milford get recalled from South Logan or does he spend the rest of the year there and therefore the rest of his contract? Um, does does Kevy stick with Dean and Croft or you know, even longer term, do they do they go to market for years 2022 and beyond? 
I, I think um, we need to go to the market. I, I really do. Um, look, that's only one game. Um, so uh, we, we, we got to look at that. We really have to have that behind the scenes, um, you know, looking to see what's out there, a little bit more experience. But look, come next week, if the two, if, if Croft and Dearden come out and perform again, what we're just keeping there, we keep in there and hopefully this will build a combination and they'll build confidence in each other and, you know, we can keep them and, and then we won't have that problem. So, you know, you just got to get at the moment for us, it's just week to week. And so uh, on looking looking to market then, um, obviously Adam Reynolds is, is a, a marquee halfback that's, that's available. Uh, do you see anybody else out there that the team might be looking at? Yeah, look, to be honest, there's not too much out there. Um, it's just one of those things. I mean, look, Reynolds will be a great asset. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know whether his situation might change at Southset. I don't know whether it looks at the moment. But um, really, there's not too much out there. And this is why probably, as I mentioned before, we're probably banking on that these two can, can grab a hold of their opportunity. And as I said, they got to build this combination and go out week to week and do it. Um, with too much out there, I'm not too sure what's out there in the market at the moment. So uh, we just got to go with what we got. Steve, there's been, uh, I guess, a fair bit of pressure on on Kevy and his, you know, short tenure as a, a head coach already. Uh, you obviously, um, you know, know what a, a competitor he is and, and how much he loves the, um, the the Brisbane Broncos. He's just, has he walked into a bit of a hospital pass and it's just going to take a while to, to clean it up or he's, he's just obviously got a big job on his hands? He, he, exactly. Um, he has. Uh, he's got to work with what he's been given. And, and look, Kevy hasn't had too much to do with that, obviously. And um, look, and I, I feel I've said this. I've said this over, you know, eight months ago. Go back to the season that it was last year. Um, you know, these boys. I feel sorry for them. Is that they should never ever come together. And on people, some people don't understand what I say there, but um, they should never. And this goes back to our recruiting and. Um, I'll keep harping on that because we have terrible recruiting at the club and that's something that really needs to be fixed. So, they, they you know, depending on what's out in the market, they got the opportunity to fix that in a, n- a number of areas. But I believe this group of boys should never, ever come together as a first-grade team. Where do you, I mean, we probably talked about that um, the, there's been plenty of focus on the halves and we all know sort of how much talent's in that powerful young pack. Where do you see the, the back five uh, at? Because that's a, traditionally a spot where Brisbane have been very strong. You look at the centre pairing on the weekend was uh, Kenar and Mead. Mead traditionally a winger, Kenar a bit of a journeyman. They're obviously missing Katoni Staggs, who's a real gun centre and hopefully yes. he ends up staying at the club. But, it, you know, I mean, is that a, 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 a spot of weakness for the club? Yeah, it is. I mean, we, we're waiting on Katoni. Uh, we had Corey Oates back. Corey yeah. Oates had a great... He was good, yeah. Um, and, you know, look, he, he'll keep his spot. Um, so, Corey Oates is back. And, look, he actually, uh, you know, he's been put put aside for the for the start of the season. And and I don't know what reasons for, but obviously he's come out and reacted. And that's all Kevy wants to see. So, if he's fit, he's going to be in that team again. So, um, that's what we've got to look at. I mean, you, yeah. I, you know, we got young players like new, but obviously Herbie Farnsworth wasn't there as well. Yeah. So obviously, our you, you look at what we have. I'd, you know, you'd have Tessie New, oh sorry, Xavier Coates, uh, Corey Oates uh, on the wings, and then obviously, um, you know, you had Herbie Farnsworth and Katoni Staggs in the centres. And and number one, you know, we we have to look at either Tessie New um, or um, 
you know, so we got Tessie and um, uh, Jermaine Osako. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a formidable back five. So, you know, if they can, we can come up with some consistency that they're pretty effective. What do you think the, the realistic goals should be for, for Brisbane or for you know, expectations for Brisbane fans um, this year? Obviously, um, coming from a, a low base last year, but we've seen some some signs of life. There's, there's plenty of talented players in that roster already, as we've seen, even if it is a little bit sort of um, out of whack or a little bit unbalanced. But what do you think you know Broncos fans should be hoping for this year? Well, starting from the, the, the game just gone this weekend, uh, consistency. Let's repeat that again. Let's go out there. Let's, let's all put in uh, for each other, and that's what they did. So let's just repeat that. So as I said, it's very much for us week to week and, and what we do. And I think that that makes it a lot easier without these, these uh, you know, mid-term or longer-term expectations with, the, with this team. I think we just look week to week. If they can repeat what they did on the weekend, they keep doing that for a few games, all of a sudden they'll get this momentum, and that's all we can ask. Obviously, that game uh, on the weekend, Brisbane you know, came out firing. They led it a couple of times in the game. It, it got down to right at the, the end of the game. What what did you make of, I guess, Penrith? It's been a long time, like I said, since they've lost a, a regular season game. They've just got so many good young players yeah. sort of all coming together and coming into form at, at the same time that they'd have to be amongst the, um, the absolute favourites this year. Without a doubt. So, you know, you look at Penrith, look, they got put to the... Yeah, got put to their task the other night. And um, so for them to come out with that win and grind a win, that's very good for them. So, you know, they you can get complacent. And look, we, we did it back in the day, the early 90s with, with our Broncos team. And you get a little bit complacent every now and then because, you know, you see them go out and you sort of know, well, you know, we're only going to beat ourselves here. But if you start thinking too, uh, you know, being too confident, you can lose that pretty quickly. So for them to grind out that win, in a hard-fought win against Brisbane Broncos, I think that does them a lot of good. All right, well, um, mate, that's um, fantastic insight. So I appreciate your time stopping by the uh, Sunday session um, podcast. Any final thoughts you want to throw at us before we uh, let you go? Or... Yeah, mate, look, I, I just think, you know, the, the, the comp's really good. I mean, this. I just want to mention some of the games this weekend and, and, yeah. and the finishes. And, and even tonight, you know, Canary putting in, it was... It was Probably typical of the two minnows playing there tonight, but the, it was good to see there was a really some you know you know edge of your seat rugby league this weekend. So it's been great. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the Sunday session, Steve. We very much appreciate your time. No worries. Thank you very much, boys. So, Kenny, let's uh, roll through the rest of the round. We'll do it in reverse chronological order like we always do. And we've just seen the end of, uh, like Steve touched on, a pretty thrilling finish, a pretty fiery clash um, up there in Queensland Country Bank Stadium, Townsville, between the Cowboys and the Bulldogs. I've got to say, uh, when Jack Hetherington was sent off and uh, Cowboys immediately split them up the middle and scored under the post to make it, I think it was 24-6, I thought um, this could be a 40-point scoreline. But uh, from out of nowhere, the Dogs just flipped a switch and found their attacking mojo and uh, almost stole a win yeah it's almost like do you think when when that happened uh, and the, the lead blew out to 18 points i reckon the cowboys probably thought sweet like that's it. Like, 18 points is, is big enough a lead we can like let the pressure off but i reckon jack hetherington getting sent off probably took all the pressure off the bulldogs as well they just went all right well first of all no one expects us to win we're a man short bugger this let's just go help for leather and chuck it around and see what we can do and they they Good on them. They got really, really close. Probably, um, you know, 
so close but yet so far it's, it's still it's still a loss and it's probably um you know they, they can take a moral victory out of it somewhere but again it's um it's a game they haven't won and you can see the uh um you know the look on Trent Barrett's face when uh Nick Kotrick was caught offside for the Will Hopawati potential almost leveling um try was a uh, yeah um uh pretty pretty sad to see but uh, you know it was um I think yeah like what, what Steve was saying it's everyone expected this game to be of I mean I'm not going to say it was a you know, of super high quality because it wasn't. There was lots of drop balls and there was lots of lots of mistakes and things like that. It was also very humid conditions, so that can be attributed to that somewhat. Um, but man, it was it was really really exciting. Like the the Bulldogs showed their no pushovers, and the Cowboys probably also showed they've still got a fair bit of work to do. Um, but you know, went right right down to the wire. So good game. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the send-off probably releasing the pressure on the Bulldogs and they, you know, not expected to win from that point and they just can go hell for leather and throw everything at them. I thought it almost had the opposite effect on the Cowboys because they've been struggling the last couple of years and, you know, d- despite getting away with the win last week, they've been struggling badly this year as well. And suddenly they're in a position of dominance where they're expected to win. They they collapsed in the second half last week from a position of dominance and when they were finally expected to win and they sort of did it again. They just don't seem to be very comfortable uh, or confident front runners at the moment it's the sort of situation where you're Jonathan Thurston type players just calm everyone down and kick to the corners and and grind out a win and they didn't seem to know how to do that and obviously they got there um, in the end with you know the, the dogs getting um, a little bit lucky with Kotrick a few steps offside on that potential um, try but I sort of highlighted to me how much of a work in progress the Cowboys still are as well. Yeah that's a really good point because if you look at the Cowboys team and like playback how that that um, game went out. It, it seemed like the the leader of the Cowboys is um, Kyle Phelps, and Kyle Phelps is a great player, but he's the winger. Like mm. you, you, the winger being your you know your your rock and your level head. Just you know that's not really where you need most experience. You need it in your you need it in your your, you know, your spine and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think yeah, you're right. It, it, it just points to their um, lack of experience in the um, you know when it comes to leadership and uh, game management. Yeah, still, I guess the end result, though, is uh, back-to-back wins for the, the Cowboys, which is a relief for them. And the, the Bulldogs now a, a long time without a win and potentially headed towards a, um, a wooden spoon this season, unless they can find something sooner than later. Before we move on, um, just on, on Jack Heverington and his send-off, yep. is, he, is he quite possibly the most expensive player in the game when it comes to you know, discipline and, and charges and, and you know, that sort of stuff? Probably just about. I mean, there's a there's a good player in there who just needs to find the balance. I mean, you want your your front rowers to be aggressive, and they've obviously bought him knowing that he's you know treads a fine line, and I guess hoping to to channel or, or rein in that that aggression. Um, but it's it just keeps sort of bubbling over at the wrong time and, and getting him into trouble. Like sort of conjecture about whether or not that was a send off. I think. At the absolute least, it was a sin bin. Um, I'm certainly not going to say they, they made a mistake in, in using the send-off, um, but you'd expect he's going to miss a couple of weeks out of it as well. And now, you know, he's probably been one of their better players the last couple of weeks. Now they're going to be missing him. So it's, uh, it is expensive, like you say. Yeah, he, he has a great attitude, uh, poor execution. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the earlier Sunday game uh, down there at Cogra, the Dragons coming off a, a really impressive win against the Eels, their fourth straight win of the season last week, um, ran into a, a Warriors side that were, um, you know, pretty disappointing a week earlier and a lot more disciplined, I thought, in this game and eventually uh, clawed their way to a 2014 win. Pretty high quality contest uh, for most of it. 
if you want to, we were speaking about pressure in the Cowboys game and, and you know, building of pressure and relieving of pressure. You want to talk about pressure, be a Dragons team who's won four in a row when you're expected to do nothing and turn up at Cobra for a win, for a game that your, your rabid fans are expected to win and try and pull that off. That was, that like, I know a fair few Dragons fans and I work with a fair, there's a fair few Dragons fans in the uh, NRL.com offices and boy, howdy, they, what they told me was going to happen for this game is exactly what happened for this yeah. game. Um, and that's that's not to say it was a bad bad game from either team. Um, like you said, it was really high quality and this was really fast. Like it felt frantic the whole time. And I thought at some point fatigue is going to have to set in on either on either team and, and someone's going to get to run away with it. But it, it didn't happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the game really came down to the dragons uh, decision for a short dropout when they were two points ahead to give possession back to the Warriors and have them score the try that, that, that gave them the lead. I don't really understand why they would have done that. Yeah, I mean, close point in the game. I guess it's a big turning point if you can get the ball back. But you'd think if, um, yeah, maybe just play the percentages at, at that point in time. I can't answer the question is the short answer. Yeah, I, I'm... Well, <laughs> I'm all for um, I'm all for short dropouts and, and you know spontaneity and things like that. It just didn't seem like uh, the the type of play that Anthony Griffin would definitely be getting his team to do, or any any coach really. That's the sort of pointing part in the game where you um, like you said play percentages and go with go with the game plan and grind out a um, you know a good set and try and try and win back possession that way. Um, other than that, because if that hadn't happened, and I mean you, you know you waste your life doing what ifs, but if that you know the game could have gone to the Dragons had they not you know, were, were not for that decision for them. Um, but still, the Warriors, I thought, were, were excellent. They, uh, like Cody Nicarima, I thought he had a fantastic game. Um, a lot of choices to run it on the fifth, which turned out, and I don't know if that was just, um, he realised it was the fifth and did, wasn't a good place for a kick and then decided to have a sprint. But he's, you know, he, he seemed to be quite good at it. So um, I don't know if yeah. that's a ploy they've been working on, but uh, it makes for interesting watching. It's sort of he's very quick off the mark, Cody Nicarima. He seems to have really good acceleration. And when the uh, defensive team's playing for a, a long kick, you might have one person racing up to to pressure the kick. It sort of leaves a bit of a gap in the line. And he's one of those guys who can kind of shift his weight and and dart off. And suddenly there's a, a full gap there where there was only half a gap a, a second before. But it looked like a lot of different points in this game where at, at different times one of the two teams was felt like they were making 60, 70 meters per set. Just every ball runner was getting poking his nose in between two defenders and getting a really fast play the ball and just one team getting a real sort of um, head of steam up and, and charging downfield but it wasn't consistently the same team it sort of went back and forth uh, a fair bit which made it quite exciting and I thought uh, for the Warriors Roger Tuabasashek just magical again a really really um, impressive performance from him and um, Torhu Harris again he's sort of getting shifted between edge and middle and prop and lock and crashed over for an early try and just keeps on you know he's mm. the, the glue that holds that team together you know the, the second he went off for that HIA that the Dragons cut through and scored almost straight after that I think he's just so important to that to that Warriors team but I mean it's impressive as well given they lost Petahiku already short in the outside backs lost Petahiku to a dislocated shoulder I think less than five minutes in and then um, unfortunately Adam Pompey went off near the end not quite sure what that was like a possible rolled ankle or, or something but um, definitely down on troops so a tough performance to come away with a win in those circumstances yeah and, and that's i think that's probably something that the, the warriors have definitely not been known for tough wins plus how can we have not spoken about this already 100 percent completion rate oh yeah for, that's like the what what like that's the the first time ever in the nrl era is one of the, the stats i read so that is and 
for it to come from the Warriors, they're like the, the chuck it around Kings. Amazing stuff. Shows shows you know the kind of game they're working to um, are under Brown and uh, Gould. Yeah, I um I didn't realize until after the game that they like it. It felt like they weren't making many errors, but I didn't realize till after the game they completed forty sets from forty, which is you're right. I'm not sure if that's mm. been done. I wasn't obviously at this game, but I was at the uh, the game between the Warriors and Dragons. I think it was in Gosford from memory um, shortly after the COVID break early last year where the Warriors completed, I think, their first 38 or 40 sets and all the journos were sort of like, is it yep. going to happen? Is it going to happen? They finally <laughs> had an error near the end, but I think they finished up with 45 from 47 in that game or something absolutely ridiculous. So it's We'll say in the last two games against the Dragons, the Warriors have completed 85 from 87 sets or something. <laughs> pretty, pretty absurd completions. Good stat. Um, Saturday night, the Raiders up against the Eels. Um, that second half from Parramatta, just absolutely unstoppable. Canberra, um, you know, I was watching on Fox League. They they do the press conferences of the last game live, and Ricky Stewart just unloaded on his players. Like he wasn't not shouting an angry unloaded, but just absolutely scathing in terms of their individuals in this team who just want to you know turn up and put on an NRL jersey and have other people do the work for them and um you kept saying individuals he wouldn't you know name names but individuals who like it was it was harsh stuff and um I think if I'm not I don't want to say which individuals I think he's talking about because if it's not them then I've just <laughs> landed someone necessarily but there's a couple of guys in that 17 who based on that press conference he'd have to think won't be there next week Oh, I would love to be in the change rooms when, like, when Ricky Stewart's on those individuals. Um, yeah, it was it was not the game I was expecting, to be honest. I don't know. I, I would have sort of given these teams, I would have put them completely even and just tipped with um, with whichever, whichever whoever the home side was. So in this case, it was Canberra. I thought it was I thought it would be a close match, decided by no more than you know six points. And by halftime, that probably looked like it was that was going that way. And then I don't know, you know, the Parramatta must have just chugged the Gatorade at halftime, and um, Canberra must have, you know, I don't know, had a nice warm cup of tea or something because it just seemed like two completely team, two two completely different teams came out um, in terms of their uh, the intensity levels for that second half. It was amazing. Parramatta pushed Canberra around like right up through the middle, which is. That you can't do that to Canberra. Canberra have some like have one of the best forward packs in the game. Um, notorious, uh, you know, enforcers, and they just got they got pushed around. I, I, I couldn't believe it. No wonder Ricky Stewart was fuming. Yeah, it's um, haven't mentioned him yet, but Isaiah Papali'i for the Parramatta Eels to me very close to the buyer of the season across the entire NRL <laughs> so far. Been absolutely stupendous. Completely steamrolled over the top of his namesake, Josh Papali'i for the first try, which I don't think I can recall ever Josh Papali'i getting steamrolled for a, a try. I'm not even sure what he was doing uh, defending out that wide, but um, Isaiah uh, got a, another try in the second half and probably would have been the you know best player on the ground if it wasn't for an absolute um, second half virtuoso performance from Mitch Moses who was running proceedings expertly kicking beautifully I think it's three separate touches uh, to create the uh, the Sean Lane try and um, yeah those two guys just plus uh, I guess Reed Marnie the other one really turned the tide for uh, for Parramatta Uh, yeah, like I mean, they said that in the the, the Channel Nine commentary. Sorry, the, the Fox commentary after the game that that was uh, that's the standard that Mitch Moses needs to needs to uh, reach for every single game because it just shows how how brilliant he can be um, as a half. And like you said, I think the way he the, the Sean Lane try for me is the one that yeah really stood out, which is what you mentioned and touched it 
two or three times, I think, to, to get it over there. Um, I just don't know what, like, <laughs> writing my notes for this game, I had all these things on camera, and all I could say for Parramatta was, other than Isaiah Papali'i, two tries, was everyone played well. Because that's, that's really what happened. Everybody everybody played well for Parramatta, whereas in Canberra it was not the case at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Eels got probably didn't get too much mileage out of their bench. Uh, Bryce Cartwright didn't get on until about five minutes to go. Uh, club debutant Wittemu Greg uh, only played a few minutes in two separate stints, and um, Keegan Hipgrave I think had a, a twenty-minute stint. So, not having um, not having Isaiah Papali'i on the bench, they they do lose a bit when the starters go off. But um, yeah, the, the thirteen players who are out there for the bulk of the game did a, a terrific job. Um, Ricky Stewart did say Seb Chris comes into that side uh, next week. I think that was probably more in the context of. Of losing Bailey Simonson to an HIA and not having an outside back on the bench, um, having lost Chance Nickel Klukstar to an HIA a week before and not having an outside back on the bench. So I don't think that's necessarily a sign that uh, Jared Croker or Curtis Scott's about to be punted um, from the team, but certainly changes afoot um, for the, uh, the green machine. Anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about your West Tigers who were much improved this week. I still am trying to process this game, in particular, the end of this game, 18-14, the final score to the Rabbitohs. After full time, it looked like 18-14 to the West Tigers. No one knew what was going on. Huge state of confusion. <laughs> we had to get the uh, the bunker to forensically work out what had gone on. Turns out Tom Burgess had done enough to uh, to ground a ball. But, yeah, crazy scenes at Stadium Australia. That was, yeah, what an unbelievable end to the match. I have to say, I was in quite a state for this entire game and quite a state at, like, on that, um, that golden point, you know, um, forensic examination, as you said. It was like, really, really surprising how good and, and frustrating as to how good the Tigers were. They, were, they obviously kind of had come out with a, a game plan and, and wanted to make amends for the poor showing they had at Leichhardt the week before. And they, you know, it's a typical Tigers, um, Tigers execution. They had a game plan and they, they executed it really, really well, except for the entire length of the time they needed to do it for. And I think just towards the end of the match, um, you know, they just lost their grip on, on momentum. It was all swinging against them. They were tired. They were down to 12 men because um, of a, a sin binning in, that, in the golden uh, point period. Uh, and they just couldn't keep up with it. But I'm not going to, yeah, we'll talk about the end Um in a minute, but I think for me, the the difference between the two teams and it really shows where where what the Tigers lack is the two moments that changed the match were there was Latrell's Mitchell's uh, run from South Zone in goal to I think about the thirty or forty before he was tackled, and that really just swung the game back in South's favour. South were on the ropes, and then all of a sudden Latrell Mitchell pulls off this epic play to get South back on the front foot, and then of course there's Adam Reynolds with his two point field goal to level the match. Just unbelievable, like match-defining plays. That that's what you have your your big name and your big money players for. And the Tigers just don't have those players that sit just above the rest. They have so Tigers have excellent players. They just don't have like a big a big marquee player that that is you know that that can change a match like that. Like they don't have a Latrell Mitchell, they don't have an Adam Reynolds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think that was really what it came down to. The Tigers, you know, when it all, all the chips were down, the Tigers didn't have a player that could just change the game like that. I don't want to take anything away from them because I thought it was an amazing performance from them. I really hope they can keep it up. I probably don't expect them to because it was, you know, it was just that big a match. But, um, yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's the end of my, end of my rant. 
Good summation. Um, yeah, I think if they play like that a week earlier, they probably beat the Cowboys pretty easily. That um, that field goal from yeah. Adam Reynolds, that the little fella's got rocket-powered boots on. That was the second he dropped it. It was he just boomed it over. I couldn't believe how crisply he hit that. You know, two weeks running, and the the one a week before was less pressure and less important, and just you know, it's almost half time. Let's just have a hit and see if That's we can get fun. it over. But this one mm. was like we're two points down, and if I miss this, then we're really stuffed. You know, Tigers are two points in front with a seven tackle set racing out of their end, but. To his credit, he absolutely nailed it. Um, before we move on, Latrell Mitchell, as a Tigers fan, I know you, you've praised his huge play getting out of the in goal, but he's now facing a three to four week suspension. He got charged for three separate incidents. Um, only one of them is actually the one doing the damage, which was the the lashing out at David Norfoluma. Um, he also, um, you know, mm. I didn't think there was much in the Ghana thing. Ghana was grabbing his leg and he kind of shook his leg out of it. People are saying he sort of lashed out with his foot or kicked him. Like he didn't make contact he's picked up a, a grade one country which is a fine i think that's probably about right and i think they probably got the, the nofaluma one right as well which i think is grade two striking or dangerous contact from memory but it's only i think it's probably one week with an early plea if not for all these priors which has pushed it out to a three-game suspension yeah I, i'm with you i think the garner incident uh, I mean, like, it all depends on which side of the fence you are. If you're like a hardcore one-eyed Tigers fan, then, oh, he kicked him in the face and got away with it. But if you're a realist, like, Garner was holding him to him after the tackle. He was trying to break free. Um, you know, it, it looked... I don't think there was any intent to actually make a kicking motion. He was just ripping his leg out of, you know, the man that was holding it. Um, and, yeah, the, the Nofalima, um smack in the face is, uh, yeah, a smack in the face. So it's probably going um, to get some kind of discipline reaction. Anyway, that's, um, yeah, still processing what an amazing game that was. Let's move on to the earlier Saturday game. And this certainly did not go how I expected either. Out there at picturesque, picturesque Glenwillow Oval in Mudgee, um, I think it's the first Manly home game out there, 36-0 over the Titans. Titans absolutely bullied the Knights into submission a week earlier and then just could not match it uh, with Manly, who uh, apparently... Tom Travojevic is the most important player in the NRL because um, Manly with him versus Manly without him are just two radically different football teams. I'm pretty sure last week I said, yeah, Turbo's coming back and that's great, but he he's not going to make up all the deficiencies that still exist in that Manly team. And uh, uh, like wrong, because obviously he did. He, he was amazing <laughs> and the, like Manly collectively were amazing and they just blew the Titans off the park. I don't know, like the Manly was incredibly like much more improved than they've been this entire year. And yet Tom Turbo, Turbo had a, a terrific game. Titans, I, I think it was just the, the trip from the Gold Coast to Mudgee. I think you know, it's a flight from, it's a flight to Sydney, then like what a four hour bus trip. And then you're in the middle of, you're in Mudgee in like a, a, a council field change room. It's really small and, you know, it's just not the conditions that you're used to. I think that really would have thrown them off. Um, and that's not an excuse for them because they just, they were, terrible by um um by their standards uh but to not register a point that's that's really amazing especially considering the you know the, the bully boy tactics we saw from david Fitter the week before just you know scoring tries at will um it was a really unexpected result i i still tip manly um because i just put this one as the like who was the home team and who wasn't but uh i did not expect the titans to not register a point 
Yeah, I um I thought Manly might be a chance here. I did I tipped the Titans, but I definitely uh, thought Manly were a good chance. But yeah, did not see a, a thirty six point thrashing coming. The Titans have taken a lot of good strides forward under Justin Holbrook. This game was a big step backwards. I guess it's just up to them now to make sure that it's a one off step backwards and they go back to to building their their forward momentum. So they've done a lot of good things uh, this year. What about the Sea Eagles? Other than Tommy Turbo, there's still some pretty big holes in that that roster and some, you know, a couple of good players missing and, um, you know, spots where they're, they're skinny. But um, I guess with, you know, DCE, Foran and Turbo in the spine and um, if enough other players do their job, they, um, they might be a, a much better side than what we saw in the opening month of the competition. I do think the real test for them will be next week because I'm pretty sure they play the Tigers and that will be a, a real, like, you know, a, a Tigers team that are desperate, that have shown how good they can be and are desperate to try and replicate that and the Manly team that have just shown how good they can be um, and want to keep that going. I think we'll really see um, whether Manly have, uh, you know, got enough sticky tape to hold that team together. Yeah, that one's at Bankwest too, so it'll be interesting uh, trip out to Western Sydney for the Sea Eagles. The second of two Friday games, the Storm 20 to four winners over the Roosters down there at Amy Park in Melbourne. Um, probably most of us were expecting Melbourne to win this one, just given that they were pretty close to full strength and with all the, the players the Roosters are missing at the moment. The, the pr- one thing I didn't really expect was just how scrappy the Roosters were going to be, um, it, particularly in the first half of this one. I think they completed 11 of their first 20 sets or something and you know, defended well to, to keep the Storm to two penalty goals in the first half and not concede a try, but really didn't give themselves a, a lot of a chance with just turning over that much ball and the storm um, too good in the end. Yeah, I think I think both teams were pretty scrappy in the first half. There was yeah. lots of drop ball on, on both sides. It wasn't like we've seen some epic storm roosters encounters over the years. And this was, I mean, it probably wasn't right up there, but it was still a, a, a great game to, um, to watch. But yeah, that first half... Um, a four nil by penalty goal scoreline probably said like it gives you the illusion that it was like a really intense high defensive match, but it was it was just a lot of drop stuff, which was just not what you expect from these two teams. But uh, the Storm managed to roll on with it, uh, and the Roosters didn't. I think um, it just shows that the Roosters are not the same team that they were two years ago. They obviously have some; they've got personnel issues, of course. They're using their like fifth backup hooker, I think. Um, and that's they've got holes, and I think it, me especially, I've always just thought, well, the Roosters will find a way to plug gaps like they always do because that's, they're a great team. Um, and I think they're just they're pretty thin on the ground with stocks in certain areas, and it, it showed in this game. Yeah, I mean, obviously missing, you know, Jake Friends had to retire. Sam Beryls isn't back yet. Uh, ben Marshke from, you know, plucked from New South Wales Cup to to cover over their their hooking issues. Um, Boyd Corden is still not back, and then uh, two of the players. In the team this weekend were C.Y. Taukiaho and Jared Roy Hargreaves both played very little uh, role in the game due to uh, rib and shoulder issues, respectively, I think it was. So um, not only skinny heading in, but got skinnier uh, once the game started. But um, I guess for the Storm, you know, they, they did what they needed to do. Harry Grant, for me, really turned this game around. He's still starting off the bench as he works back from, you know, to full fitness from that knee injury, but just an absolute sensation once he got on the field. Is the plan for Harry Grant to eventually be the 80-minute hooker? That's that's what you'd assume Melbourne are working to? I would imagine so, yeah. And then what do they do with Brandon Smith after that? Just have him on the bench as like a super sub and chuck him in the middle? 
think the same as when Cameron Smith was there, just have him as that, you know, middle forward ball playing lock impact role. I mean, he's shown already this year that he's not a guy that you can probably leave out there for 80 minutes because you want him to be able to go, you know, like a bullet a gate and, and you know, tear into the opposition and, and wear himself out yeah. and not, not have to try and get through 80 minutes. So I think having him, um, like it's working at the moment with Brandon starting at hooker and then getting a rest and, and Harry comes on and plays out the game and, and Brandon comes back and just plays that, that lock role. But, I don't see why you can't have Harry Grant playing 80 and um, Brandon doing either, you know, one sort of 60 minute spell either side of half time or a couple of 25 minute spells at the start and end of the game, just doing what he does. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Harry Grant is an amazing player and it's really quite shocking when you look at his career, he's played what 17 games, I think for the Tigers last year, a couple of games for the storm and one game for Queensland. Um, and like I said, that's like, less than like what, 20 or so games. And he looks like, yeah, he, I'm not going to say he's as good as Cameron Smith, but he looks like someone that's on that sort of path, right? He's just, he's he's all class. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the Melbourne machine keeps going, right? Yeah, it really does. I think they're going to be um, a premiership threat in a top four team once again um, this year. What do you what do you think for the Roosters? I mean, uh, some of those players, the, most of their players, they're getting back other than Luke Keary. But um, yeah, they've they got some problems. What are they going to do with Hooker? I don't know what what the answer. That's that to me is yeah. their biggest weakness. And they I need Sam Verrill's back. Is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Verrill's still a couple of weeks away. He had a setback, but you know, we saw how good he was. It was 2019 when Friend didn't play much of the season, and mm. he was their their guy. I think he's he's going to really plug a big hole for them when he gets back. But they, um, you know, if he's going to be any more than another sort of two or so weeks, they need to figure out a way to to win a few games without him and. He's got to obviously get back to full match fitness once that happens. Um, one game left to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. The Knights and the Sharks up there at McDonald Jones Stadium. Knights, um, as we already mentioned, pretty poor losing to the Titans last week. Hit back in this game. It wasn't a perfect performance from either side by a long stretch, but it was certainly gripping. The Sharks, obviously, a tumultuous week with the sacking of coach John Morris and, um, you know, very skinny in the outside backs with a bunch of players uh, missing through injury. Ronaldo Mulatalo pulled out through the week. Josh Dugan um, already out there, um, you know, playing back rowers in the in the centres, um, as were the Knights, who, uh, for me, Brody Jones was close to the best player on the field. Just, you know, a bit of a, a backup second row, absolutely everywhere, and, and killed it at centre. So, um, yeah, pretty exciting contest all up. Yeah, this was like, I would have called this like the desperation cup. The Knights really, really, really need to get back in the winner's circle because that player had some pretty poor showings in recent weeks. And the Sharks, the coach has just been dumped. You know, what are you supposed to do? You're going to go out and you're going to show that you're, you know, you the season's not a write-off, blah, blah, blah. And it sort of played out that way. Like, it was, it was. A, I mean, it ended a close game anyway. But the Newcastle, um, no, Sharks, sorry, they never let Newcastle really pull away from the match. Newcastle were in control almost the whole time for me. Uh, and they could have, they, they had chances to create, like, a pretty large points gap. But the Sharks kept reeling them back in. Um, and, yeah, it made for a pretty interesting contest. But like you said, um, Brody Jones, he made some a, a couple of epic last-ditch tackles that, that stopped, um, stopped Sharks tries. Like, I've, to be, I've never heard of this guy before. Um, like, what a <laughs> – it shows how good – how much research <laughs> I do and how professional I am. Um, but what a, like, what, a, what, a, what a great player. I mean, um, and I thought Blake Green was pretty good as well considering his, um, you know, his match fitness level might not be completely up to scratch. Mm. Um, yeah, I think the Knights would be a lot more happy with that performance. You know, defensively, like like they probably should not have let the Sharks not, that's a double negative, uh, not let them pull away um, 
and create that points gap. But still, they got away with a win, so uh, I guess they'll be happy. Uh, yeah, I think Knights fans will probably feel like they should have put that one away a bit earlier rather than needing a miracle try in the last couple of minutes to steal the win. But um, they got the try. Callum Ponga, only his second game of the season back from injury. You wouldn't have known it. He was absolutely everywhere. Um, Tyson yeah. Brazell, who offloaded for that try, I thought he was magnificent. He's he's really sort of um, got a new lease on life um, this year. I mean, like the rest of the pack dominated uh, by the Titans last week, but I thought Tyson Brazil was was phenomenal in this one um, as well. So yeah, plenty of um, reasons for Knights fans to be happy about this one. Yeah, and I think you know you could put down the the fact that they didn't they didn't they, they had to rely on a miracle a miracle try at the end to win the game. Um, what Ponga and uh, Connor Watson had food poisoning at halftime or something like that. Yeah, and, both, uh, uh, like so, I'm yeah, chucking during could, the game. Exactly. So you could probably give them a, a bit of leeway for that as well. Um, but like even even spewing on the sidelines, Kalen Ponga had it was player of the game. So it just shows how good he is. Yeah, I think he probably. Um, maybe doesn't traditionally get the plaudits he deserves for how tough he is. Like he, he's a target every week and he gets absolutely smashed. Um, you know, I remember a game was it last year, the year before Jared Rhea Hargreaves just burying him into the turf and he sort of, you know, gets up groggy and plays on and, you know, he's just, he's always getting smashed and he always bounces up. I think cause you hear him interviewed and I've interviewed him a bunch of times. And he's a bit of a, a free spirit and he's always like, Oh yeah, it's okay. You know, it's like, there's nothing, seems to really phase him and you kind of he kind of comes across like he's not taking things too seriously but you see him out there and he's um you know you, you just cannot fault his effort or his, his toughness like he he puts in yeah well i mean you can't make it in first grade if you're not tough you'll um especially if you've got a, a frame like like ponger as well where you really need toughness to throw that into the uh into the bullpit Anyway, um, I guess before we wrap this bad boy up, I, I just wanted to sort of say it was a pretty thrilling round of footy. I've seen a lot of blowouts this year. There was one or two score lines that got away on the weekend, mainly over Titans and Eels' second half against the Raiders, but they were mostly, um, you know, pretty close. A couple of four-point games. You know, Brisbane really lifted against, um, you know, Penrith and the you know, South Tigers game was absolute just bell ringer from start to finish. Um, you know, Dragons Warriors was was tough and intense, and even that last one, uh, Cowboys Bulldogs, might not have been the highest quality, but um, pretty thrilling till the end so good round of footy i thought yeah i would say you can take all your preconceived notions about how terrible the level of football is this year and chuck them out the window because that <laughs> round was beautiful like it anyway thank you uh, everyone for uh, listening to our round six sunday session podcast thanks again to steve the pearl Renoff for his insights on the brisbane broncos we'll see you this time next week